Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon. This is Dr. Simon, and I do a show more regularly of late than otherwise called The Stories We Live By. And today, this afternoon, I would like to discuss the Republican convention of last week and the role of uh, Donald Trump uh, in directing, creating that particular uh, convention um, and uh, his candidacy for president of the United States now that he is the formal candidate of the Republican Party, or perhaps I should say the Trumpian Party, because I don't think the Republican Party exists anymore. Uh, Anyway, um, today, when I do a broadcast, I try to frame my topic in psychological, social terms, and that won't be any different today. However, uh, I try to remain outside of the topic. I try to remain neutral as best I can, objective as best I can. Uh, But today, I will not be objective. Uh, I find that I can't be objective. Science, scientists are objective to the degree that they can own the topic that they're talking about, that is, stand outside of it. Um, To the degree that you are your topic, you're inside the topic, you're inside the box, if you will, and you can't stand outside, you can't really be objective. Now, uh, scientists, like all human beings, um, are never fully objective. Uh, We see the world through the time that we live in, We can't stand outside of our own time. We tend to see it through our tribal uh, loyalties, Uh, although hopefully uh, we can stand outside our tribal loyalties to a degree, and that will take up a lot of the conversation today. Um, We can't stand outside of our basic humanity uh, because we can never stop being human beings. Uh, And to that degree, we're never fully objective. Our values, our morals, our own needs, uh, in one way or another, color not only our results, but they color the very topics that we pick to choose. Now, why can't I stand outside of and be objective about the convention, the four days that I saw intermittently uh, and read about uh, afterwards uh, on television? And the answer is, I can't stand outside being a citizen. I am an American citizen. I love my country. And I love the democracy. In fact, I need, and I think we all need, to live in a democracy. And what I saw at that convention was not democracy any longer. It was the death of democracy. What I saw was a would-be dictator uh, a strong man and a mob that cheered him and booed anybody else. I listened and watched as one of his campaign uh, higher-ups uh, called for Hillary Clinton, the Democratic nominee, to be shot. And I will worry from now until after the election that she should not be shot Because when the strong people, when the top of the people in a hierarchy call for the death of somebody who is their sworn enemy, 
there will be many in the mob. There will be many of the minions seeking favor with the hierarchy, uh, the true believers, who will try to make that happen. Was it uh, Henry VIII uh, who couldn't stand uh, the fact that Thomas More wouldn't give him a divorce? I think it was Thomas More. Lately, I get my facts screwed up. But if it was him or somebody else, maybe Beckett, Thomas or Beckett, I'll check later. I should have checked before. But anyway, uh, he said, well, nobody rid me of this, this pest of this individual who hampers my, my way. And in a short order, uh, he, his, his, without saying anything or appointing anybody, um, his, uh, some of his minions, some of his loyal subjects, some of those who bowed and scraped to his majesty went out and killed him. Um, I worry for her. And I worry for her, and I worry for all of us, because I don't think we can afford not to be a democracy with the kind of individual at the top of the, of the heap um, who speaks and thinks like Donald Trump. Now, let me create some framework for my discussion, because I'm not going to sit here and call him names or call them the, the, the people at the convention names. That doesn't produce understanding. As I've said hundreds of times before and all of my shows, to judge does not allow you to understand. So we need a creative uh, framework. We need a framework uh, uh, and discuss the dynamics of groups. And we need the dynamics of individuals, the relationship of the individual to the group. And so what I want to do is create a framework. Uh, I gave myself an hour on the air today. I'm not sure I will go the full hour, but if it's necessary, I will, uh, because I feel a real need to do this. I have a goal for this show. I want it to be heard by as many people who can use the logic and reason in it to make sure that, A, they vote, and B, hopefully vote uh, for the uh, better candidate, which I believe is Hillary Clinton. And finally, to vote for democracy, because what I saw on that convention floor and in the operation of this uh, president, that this seeking, man seeking presidency is anything but democracy. So we are tribal animals. I think it's in us. We need other people. We need them to survive. And the group and its cohesion is very often the means by which we survive. And we are all tribal in one way or another. And the boundaries to our tribalism may be our country, our religion, uh, the community we live in, um, the baseball team that we, we, we uh, uh, cheer for. Uh, there are many levels of the tribe. And all of it uh, leads to a kind of interaction in which the members within the tribe see themselves as different from those who are outside the tribe. Uh, we are the inner and they are the other. It is us against them in one way or another. Now, so we're going to hold that in our minds that basically we're all part of a tribe uh, and the boundaries are different, and uh, the boundaries are flexible, and the, sometimes, and the boundaries change. 
from day to day in terms of who with whom we interact. Uh, we may be loyal to our the company we work with, um, uh, the loyalty of young people to schools, um, uh, to the school they go to, takes on a tribal a tribal quality. So it, on every level, we can we can see this operating. The second thing is a basic principle, and that is because human beings are all different. However, uh, they agree to the to the unit that they're involved with, whether it's on a large level or a family level, whether it's uh, me and my wife, you and yours, your family. We are different, and we have conflict. Conflict is inevitable in, because human beings are different. Politics is the definition of politics is the means by which we resolve conflict. And conflict can be resolved in different ways. Now, in the last book I wrote about the politics of human relationships and it's how personality is shaped by the kind of political uh, interactions that we grew up in. Um, I discerned uh, through my reading three kinds of political interaction. Anarchy, democracy, and authoritarian and totalitarianism. Authoritarianism and totalitarianism are a single unit on, on a continuum, and I'll describe that in a moment. Anarchy can exist, and in many ways it would be the preferred uh, mode of uh, a group interacting, of a tribal interaction. However, it can exist in a small group. If you have a small group of friends, you see yourselves as the group. That is your minimal tribal identification in that area. Uh, you're all friends. People are uncomfortable if they try to break into that particular group. It could be a card group. It could be a, 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 a sports group. It really doesn't matter. Um, but there is no formal leader because there needs not to be. And that really is the formal definition of anarchy. Now, anarchy is used especially from by those who are uh, authoritarian as the breakdown of all social interaction. Uh, and that can happen. But that aspect of anarchy is not really the formal definition. Uh, in a perfect world where we were all educated and we all agreed on, in many ways on, on what our goals were and what our dreams are and what our morality was, there'd be less conflict and that we really would be less need uh, for uh, the kind of hierarchical uh, political organization that is usually governing human uh, behavior and shaping human personality. So we have uh, then, I'm going to leave anarchy aside, and I'm going to talk about democracy and uh, authoritarianism. Historically, the tribe was organized, our tribes were organized in a highly uh, authoritarian manner in which the uh, leader, usually the strong warrior, I've discussed this in another broadcast, tribes historically, the leader was a warrior 
who led the defense of the tribe. Um, and the, the, the warrior had usually a, a religious figure, uh, a shaman, a cleric, uh, some kind of religious figure, who justified the morality of the tribe's behavior and justified the leader's actions. Very often, in an authoritarian system, the um, cleric, the shaman, the witch doctor, who whatever term we're going to use here, um, is hand in glove, not always, but often hand in glove with the authoritarian leader. And what you have now is a hierarchy in which anybody who threatens uh, the group uh, can be put to death. They are the other. And often the mode of perception of those from the outside tribe are uh, dehumanized and demonized so that they are lesser. They're not really human. Uh, I learned some time ago that uh, the definition of Comanche and, and Apache was the humans. And members of their other enemy tribes, those with whom they contested for land and food and water, were um, the other. And they were brutal to each other. We have created this wonderful myth that the uh, tribes of America uh, never uh, bespoiled the environment they lived in. Uh, they were in harmony with the earth, and uh, they were uh, much kinder than uh, the, uh, the, tri the tribes of the white uh, groups in Europe who came to the United States uh, or Asian groups in terms of the dehumanization and the demonization of others um, but this is not particularly so. Uh, human beings have, in their authoritarian political system, created a hierarchy from top to bottom. And that within-group dynamics are interesting. The authoritarian leader is always right. He can't be questioned. The good citizens below him exist in a hierarchy. Those closest to the top uh, are not to be questioned by those below them who are not to be questioned by below them until you get to the very bottom of the hierarchy, the people who are uh, at the bottom of the basement here of the social structure who really have nothing to say except maybe fight among each other for the crumbs of power, for the crumbs of authority. And so much of what we see worldwide or in our society where you have uh, gangs fighting over who owns the street corner on a particular block and fighting and killing each other uh, for possession really comes out of these kind of hierarchical organizations where people find that they don't matter, that they're unimportant, and this is, for any of us, an intolerable emotional state. And we need some sense of control and power. And the gang are always hierarchical. Uh, and somebody who will justify for them and with them their actions. Uh, and they will fight 
gang to gang and kill each other. And much of the violent crime, and much of the violent crime uh, in the United States uh, is often in uh, poor neighborhoods where gangs, uh, minority gangs, and not minority gangs, uh, will create a, a, a tribal atmosphere in which the hierarchy is such uh, that violence is the means by which you uh, control uh, below you and without the group, outside the group. The good citizen in a hierarchy, a political hierarchy, is an obedient one. I don't know about you. Um, when I went to school, it was very hierarchical. The teachers were expected to be obedient to the principal, and the students were expected to be obedient to the uh, teacher. Uh, the favorite students of the teacher were very often given authority and power uh, over other students, um, and this kind of hierarchical organization defined the good as obedient. And I'll talk a little bit later about the psychological consequences of growing up as an obedient listener to authority rather than a real individual who voluntarily uh, and, and freely participates in the life uh, of, the, of the tribe, of the group, whatever group that happens to be, um, because the differences are enormous. What you see collected around the, the, um, the leader in an authoritarian group whose word is law, whose word is morality, are uh, individuals who are obsequious. Uh, we used to call them ass kisses, tushy lickers, brown noses, the AKBNTLs, uh, currying favor, um, with the with the uh, leader, with the strong leader. Um, so, one final aspect of the dynamics of the authoritarian group: anybody who disagrees with the majority and the rules as defined and the by the leader, anybody who does this is an enemy and they must be purged, and they must be punished. And often, the price in dictatorships, in authoritarian systems, is death. And we have seen this. There is nothing new in any of this. I'll talk about the Republicans in a moment. But we've, not, we've seen this. This is how human history has been written. What has emerged from time to time especially in the last few hundred years, are uh, a democratic overlay to the authoritarian system. I don't think there's ever been a true democracy. But what happens in a democracy is something very different uh, in terms of interaction of people. Uh, in a democracy, the power of the leader is created by the will of those who are led. This is historically unique and historically different. 
And I'm in the process now of reading uh, Ron Chernow's book on Alexander Hamilton. I have already read uh, John Adams' David McCulloch's masterpiece. And I really recommend that people read this book, these books, because it gives you a real flavor of why we were able to become a democracy. Um, these were men who were... Uh, who found the, the, the European system of hierarchy where the king ruled by the rule of God, that the king was God in a way, or just below God, that the hierarchical system uh, was social, political, and economic, and the people at the bottom were invisible and suffered uh, and, and were brutalized. And they did not want to see that happen. They were rebelling from that kind of a system. And they struggled for years to come up with a system that would be different. Uh, and it was a system that respected individual knowledge, individual creativity. It was a system that really uh, fostered and required an educated, literate uh, uh, citizenry, that the belief that education was the process that lifted all boats was vital to the founding fathers of this country. And I have said many times in many venues, uh, the answer to so many of our difficulties are, are in a good education, not a hierarchical education, but a liberal education, uh, where people are study a core curriculum, and at the same time are free to uh, independently uh, search out and study those things that they love and that they find are vital to themselves. The psychology of the authoritarian, and by the way, let me add a little bit about the totalitarian system. In a totalitarian system, it's not only enough that you're obedient to authority, but that you're obedient in thought as well as deed. The authoritarian, uh, the totalitarian system uh, demands that if two and two is five, you will believe, not just say that two and two is five, but you'll believe that two and two is five. In such a system, rebellion becomes impossible. Uh, Nazi Germany probably came closest to a totalitarian system. Uh, uh, Soviet Russia uh, was not only authoritarian, extremely authoritarian, but came close to totalitarianism uh, with thought crime. And, uh, the author, uh, uh, George Orwell, in 1984, another book uh, that is vital on the reading list of everybody who uh, respects and loves democracy of what happens uh, when uh, you're taught to think just as Big Brother or whoever the totalitarian leader wants you to think, that all sources of information are closed up. So let me now get to the politics. It's clear I prefer democracy. In a democracy, ultimately, it's politically stronger and survives better than a totalitarian or authoritarian system because when everybody is uh, loyal to the group because they choose to be 
when you have discussion that doesn't end in people being purged and killed and or killed, when you have an educated population uh, that is trained in liter- knows literature, science, and can study and understand things on their own, when you have people who are part of the system but able to develop their own individual personality, their own skills, their own sense of self, you have a very, very different kind of life. And it's one uh, that in the United States has been long in coming. The freeing of slaves and, and the more universal education of our minorities, especially black people. Uh, it's only a hundred years that women have the vote. And one can study the incredible struggle of women to develop a vote and become educated. Uh, Right now, some of my favorite authors and my favorite composers are women. Unheard of. Even when I was in my 20s, certainly when I was in my teens. Some of the best conductors, sensitive conductors of symphony orchestras, Marin Alsop uh, comes to mind immediately, are females, are women. It makes the society open. It makes it ultimately stronger. And it makes people willing to participate and die, not for the leader, but for the personal freedoms that are enjoyed uh, and the opportunity to lead your children in directions that are, A, loyal to the family and simultaneously allowing them to become good individual citizens of their culture. I can't be um, um, unbiased about this. What I saw at that convention, and when I've been following uh, Donito Trompolini, which I thought hysterically wonderful, uh, when a picture came out on my Facebook of that of uh, Mussolini and uh, Trump, both looking very much like each other, with the jaw struck at, strut out, the arrogance, uh, arrogant expression on the face, and somebody had said uh, he could be called Donito uh, Trombolini. I, I thought that was terrific. I, I can't be biased about it, but what I've seen is the following. Starting a number of years ago, probably began with Reagan, but Reagan today wouldn't have been elected dog catcher. Uh, he talked to the Democrats He had a very good relationship with Tip O'Neill, who was the Democratic uh, uh, head of the the House. Uh, They worked on legislation uh, when it was necessary. Uh, Reagan raised taxes. A very different individual. Moreover, he was not a bully particularly. He was not uh, unkind. Um, I didn't like his politics, but I didn't dislike him. What has happened in the Republican Party over the last years is that loyalty to the party is greater than loyalty to the country. That more and more of the congressmen and even the senators gave up their individuality. And they gave up their individuality by signing pledges never to raise taxes so that when we went into the horrendously ill-conceived Uh, war in Iraq, Uh, illegal, immoral, 
um, done for reasons that had nothing to do uh, with weapons of mass destruction, which were never found. And I'll talk for a moment about George Bush, George W. Bush, and the damage he did to himself in America uh, by not listening to his generals. Um, but but when, when, you, when you look at this, uh, the, the hierarchical nature of the Republican Party in which uh, you don't raise taxes, you don't deal with Democrats, you don't go for lunch with the Democrats, you don't talk to the Democrats. When um, uh, Obama was elected president uh, and they sat down as a party and agreed under Mitch McConnell that the goal of the Republicans will be to defeat anything that uh, he wants, Obama wants to do, so that we can destroy him and remove him in one, in one term. And it didn't work. Uh, it didn't work for a variety of reasons, but the Republicans became more and more authoritarian. The party literally purged anybody who wanted to discuss anything other than what the party leaders had decided was their agenda. The agenda number one was to defeat and destroy Obama. And nothing will ever convince me that's because he came from the tribe of the wrong color. That this was, there was so much race involved in this. But at the same time, the leaders swore fealty, loyalty uh, to um, the NRA. Uh, the, the people who became the kings and queens of America, increasingly the billionaires, the millionaires and billionaires, uh, who had, through ALEC, the American Legislative Exchange Council, which literally writes the uh, uh, talking points of the day for so many in the Republican Party, uh, that taxes should be lowered on the rich because that'll be a trickle-down Economy that started with Reagan, uh, Laffler had produced these phony particular kinds of charts that would show, uh, oh, this would really uh, create a bustling economy. And it's never worked and it never will work except for those who are wealthy. Our new royalty, the new kings and queens, are those uh, who are in power and see themselves, and I, they do see themselves many, not as normal, ordinary people, but as superior uh, to, very superior to those who have less money. Uh, McGov uh, uh, oh, God, never mind. I'll come back to when I can remember the name. of. Uh, anyway, it, the Republican Party was was, was literally uh, begun to be hollowed out. At the same time, collecting in the Republican Party were the uh, ultra-Christian religious, the evangelicals. And the in evangelicals um, demanded a loyalty to the Christian religion, the Christian faith. Uh, and at the same time, through economic means, uh, the, the people who lost their jobs, who had high school diplomas, who really couldn't adapt or wouldn't adapt uh, to the new technological society that has been so difficult for many of us to adjust to, 
Uh, and they collected within the Republican Party and became slaves. Uh, and the leaders that they elected became slaves to the ideology of religion, the ideology of money, the ideology of power. I've never met anybody who was a bigot who said, yes, I'm a bigot. Uh, and we are all, in my last broadcast I discussed this, we're all bigots to one way or another. We're all aware of the differences in culture that define our own tribe and the differences that exist in others who are not like us and belong to another tribe. The question was, how much do we want to exclude them and how much do we want them to be obedient to us and sit at the bottom below us to be obsequious to us, to have a system it's like the caste system in India, where at the very bottom you had the untouchables, individuals who never dream or even believe that there could be upward mobility because they have been so trained not to think of themselves as an individual who can rise and be an individual, but that they're part of a mass. And the Republican Party, I believe, was hollowed out. It became a party of religious ideology. It became a party largely of, of bigotry. And along came Trump. That could be a song. Along came Trump. Da, 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 da. Anyway, Trump scares me. And I'll describe why. He is the model of an authoritarian personality. Thin-skinned, demanding obedience of those below. The most grandiose notions of his own authority and power. Uh, demanding loyalty that uh, is such that if you disagree with him, he goes after you, he sues you. He purges anybody who doesn't genuflect and, and worship Trump. When Trump said in a speech that he knows more about ISIS and how to fight it than the generals of the United States Army, I really became frightened that this should now become, this man should become the commander-in-chief of our army. Bush did the same thing. When we, in our ill-conceived Ill uh, attack on, on uh, uh, Saddam Hussein, and when his government was toppled, our military asked fervently, strongly, do not disband the Iraqi army. They hated the hierarchy they were in. When that army, like many authoritarian armies, went to war, it was not out of will. There were no soldiers there who volunteered. If they did the wrong thing, the guy behind them shot them. It was a hierarchical army. They and our military got together, and the military, our general said, we can work with these people. They will keep order. This country will come apart like authoritarian systems always come apart. In fact, I want to back up after this and talk a little bit about the, the dynamics of authoritarian versus anarchistic and democratic groupings. Uh, and if I remember, I will do that because I still have some time. And he, Bush overrode the generals. 
He had them. Uh, the army uh, took away their guns. This was a professional army. Their salaries were now nowhere. They couldn't support themselves. There was no economy there to absorb them. Uh, and ultimately, um, resentment grew. Hostility grew. Religious fervor grew. And they became the basis of ISIS. Remembering that the tribal schism in the Middle East is often between Sunni and Shia Muslims, uh, arguing uh, like the Protestants and the Catholics did. Uh, was uh, Jesus, uh, was the, was the uh, uh, Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost a unity or a trinity? Millions have died in these uh, uh, hierarchical, authoritarian, uh, ideological fights between religious groups. We invented ISIS. Uh, and it's like when you go into a store and you break something, you break it, you own it. And unfortunately, we own it, and we're not doing a very good job of the ownership, and, and we are paying a terrible price for this. Uh, when Trump says, I will protect you. I will bring law and order. Angry man who paints a picture of darkness in America. Yes, we are at risk for terrorist attack. And the chances of any one of us dying in a terrorist attack is there. But something less than my chance or your chance of being hit by lightning on a golf course. Most of us walk out of our house and say hello to our neighbors. Most of us are living good lives. But the way in which the dictator works is by creating terror and fear and telling you that, A, you must listen to him because only he can save you. He has the power. He has the knowledge. And two, that you will become his deadly enemy. Uh, he has a team of lawyers that sues anybody who disagrees with him. Trump has said that he will change the libel laws uh, if he's elected so that reporters who write stories negative to him and his administration can be sued. Terrifying. This individual seeks a kind of control that nobody should have because it represents the end of democracy. It represents repression. It represents the kind of authoritarianism that I don't know what you want to live, but I don't want to live in that kind of a system. It's, it is horrendous and it is terrifying. So he thinks he can single-handedly bring law and order. He can single-handedly, only I can protect you, he said in his speech. Uh, no, he won't do it alone. He will have uh, a, an obsequious group of individuals loyal to him who will carry out his wishes, even if he doesn't ask them to be carried out, because they will know what it is or assume they know what it is. And any of us who disagree will be an enemy to be purged, to be silenced. I'm about finished. I'm going to hang up soon. But I wanted to talk a little bit about the work of Kurt Lewin, the psychologist who became Kurt Levine after he became, came to the United States, why he changed his name. 
uh, I'm sorry, his name was Levine, and he changed it to Lewin, so it would be less uh, Semitic. Uh, but he was a really interesting individual. He took groups of children, and he repeated this over and over again, so we know that the, 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 the scientific work is valid. And he organized them into three groups. Um, there were play groups. In the first group, there was a, we, a leader, an adult leader, who basically sat and read the newspaper and let the kids do whatever they want. He assumed he could call this anarchy. There was no leadership. In the second group, there was a kindly but very stern leader who told the children what to do, assigned them their tasks, told them what the schedule would be for their play group. And in the third group, there was a democratic leader, an adult, who organized the kids to uh, uh, create their own little government and um, choose their leader. And the kids would come to these groups, and immediately he recognized there was a difference. The attendance was worse in the authoritarian groups. The kids milled around. They became bored. They squabbled with each other. They were not happy. They didn't want to come. The other two groups worked well. And the experiment began when one day the uh, group's uh, a leader did not show up. The adult did not show up. In the democratic group, the kids looked around. They wondered where the leader was. What should we do? But they knew what to do because they had elected their own little government. And they decided on the task of the day and what they would do. And they went about and did it and enjoyed themselves without the leader because they had been helped to become their own leadership, which never happens in a totalitarian group. You don't delegate and stand aside as a leader in a totalitarian system, otherwise you're out of a job. In the other group, the authoritarian group, fights broke out as to who is now going to be the leader. And we discover whenever a dictator is toppled and there is no democratic uh, uh, substructure, when there is no means of election, when there is no uh, uh, view that we have to now, uh, as we start to have conflict, work this out in a way that is fair and equitable, where we find the best people to do the leading uh, and vote and do this through participation, and everybody keeps their own citizenship, uh, you end up with this kind of civil war, with this kind of battle. And it's over and over that we see this. So, um, I'm finished for the day. Uh, I think I covered what I wanted to cover, uh, the dynamics. Yeah, one final thing. When we look at people who are authoritarian and authoritarian leaders, who promise to do everything and take control. It was almost always driven by some inner pain, some inner wound, a narcissistic wound. I think he's a very wounded individual psychologically um, and very disturbed. His thin skin, the, the way he's given to anger and rage against anybody who, who stands up to him or criticizes him. But what happens in these situations, Karen Horney, the wonderful psychoanalyst, ahead of her time as a woman who became a medical doctor in uh, Germany, 
uh, and a leading uh, uh, psychoanalytic uh, 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 scholar, came to the United States. Her institute is still there on the east side of Manhattan. Um, said that these individuals who are, are always frightened and always upset because the more you take on as a human being, the easier it is to reach that point where you no longer have the ability to do all the things for yourself. So the inability to delegate responsibility, the inability to let it go, ultimately wears down and kills the inner life of the person who uh, uh, tries to do everything for everybody and says to 350 million people, I alone can take care of you. Terrifying uh, for those of us who don't like the man. Terrifying because we know one person can't take care of us. Terrifying because we all have to participate in our democracy so that we all take care of ourselves and each other and the country we live in. And don't give up our, 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 our rights to somebody and scream like a mob if somebody stands before us like Cruz did, as much as I dislike him, and doesn't uh, genuflect to the, to the grand leader, to the glorious leader. Well, that's it for today. What time is it? Quarter to five. Almost ready for cocktail hour. I have to start my supper. I have to marinate a steak. Mmm, I have a great marinade. If you ask me, I'll give you my recipe. Take care, folks. I don't see anybody has called in. Okay. Good night, goodbye, and good luck to us all.